This program is a member of the DVR Podcasting Network, found at dvrpodcast.com. Spoiler alert, this podcast will include knowledge from the most recent episode of Game of Thrones. Catch up if you haven't yet, and listen after you have. You've been warned. Michael. Give us the night that ended, singer, he bellowed. Matt Murdock. He's drunk said Theon. You're listening to Podcast Winterfell. Welcome back to Podcast Winterfell in 2018. You're not going to get any Game of Thrones. You only have a slight possibility of getting a new book from George R. R. Martin, but you're definitely going to be getting Podcast Winterfell coming to you to keep you interested in the saga that is A Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones. My name is Matt Murdock. Uh, we're going to be continuing part two of our conversation about John, which we've entitled The John Problem. It's my conversation with your regular Wednesday release guy, Mike Hall. He hosts the Deep Dive when new episodes of Game of Thrones comes out on, I think they typically drop on Wednesdays. He's at Fifth Column Film on Twitter. I am at Musical Concepts on Twitter. Don't forget, if you want to contact Podcast Winterfell, podcastwinterfell at gmail.com, or you can tweet at WinterfellPod. You can find all of the back episodes at podcastwinterfell.com. You can also find links to that particular website at dvrpodcast.com that is podcast winterfell's home it's a network of great podcasts and really you can find them all right there at dvrpodcast.com but more importantly if you become a patreon patron for the dvr podcast network by going to patreon.com slash dvr then you're going to get all kinds of content including some exclusive patreon content that doesn't make it on the regular podcast things like that it's a fun experience it's a great community um and uh, axel's worked really hard to get this network off the ground so please support it patreon.com slash dvr that's enough about the podcasting network and about podcast winterfell here is part two of mine and mike's conversation regarding the most evil character in all of westeros Jon Snow. No? No. There's so many different ways that you could really put it into effect. So I've come around on this theory. Matt Murdock. You're listening to Podcast Winterfell. It did happen. We did have Robert's Rebellion. All of these lives were just completely messed up by the fact that John was born. In my opinion... (laughs) Uh, so we're looking at some of the characters that we love and who they or how the birth of John has affected them. Um, and, and some of it will be kind of 
going back to the rabbit hole stuff, but we can also look at just how we evaluate each character and the choices they made because of their interactions with John as to whether that would be the right thing. Or at least I can, Mm -hmm. because I'm judgmental Mm -hmm. that way. Uh, And so is Ned. And so I will start with Ned. Uh, We already (laughs) mentioned how the love that created John has changed Ned's own status in the world. But again, ever since he came back from Dorne, he's kept his sister's secret safe up until the time that he died. So the man is a liar. I mean, he's been living a a lie for 20 years. He he, he was living a lie. Um, And... The, the the guy this is the guy that has all of the sayings you know the most honorable he's considered one of the more honorable men in the story yeah and let's get back on the couch for just a second is there a possibility that he was extra honorable and extra projecting in all of those other spaces because he was felt guilty about the lie oh ned you've been couched baby <laughs> because you know he who passes the sentence has to swing the store the the sword and 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 he even you know to save his children and i think that that's an honorable reason he even lies about joffrey baratheon being the true heir forgive mm. me bubba from the joffrey podcast for um <laughs> you know going along this story that the, the blasphemy that, that games of thrones has taken but this is the truth that we know from the television show uh but in John, in the first case, and Sansa and, and Arya, in the first case, he's trying to save those lives, and those are the source of his lying. Um, but I wonder, and again, this is rabbit holy, but you just looking back on on Ned's life, Mike, do you think that Ned specifically kind of just fled to the north and never really came and visited his allegedly his brother-like friend Robert down at King's Landing once he became Warden of the North just to kind of shield John from Robert's quest to end all the Targaryens? I mean, you have the whole thing about Wyla and the whole story they made up. You can look back on even their very first scene where Robert's talking about Lyanna and how Ned's just trying to get him off of Lyanna. No, it's over. It's over. It's over. She belongs here. Blah, blah, blah. You know. Uh, right. You know, all the Targaryens, you don't need to worry about any of the Targaryens, blah, blah, blah. I mean, all of all of the clues are there right in the beginning when you get to go back and layer it all in. But um, but they seem out of context until you get to that point. But I, I just wonder if Ned was kind of like, I, I don't want anything to do with this guy because he wants to kill my my nephew. Yeah, I mean, I think in a lot of ways he would have been fine with the whole thing just the whole generation of people just passing away without knowing anything about it to be honest like i think ned didn't want to talk about it ever with anybody and every time he got around people who in any way could potentially ask him about it it was a nerve-wracking experience Mm. you know i definitely think also you know i mean i think it was pretty well documented that robert you know really really let himself go shall we say Mm. once he took the throne and that you know there may have been i think most of us have experienced that right where like we've kind of aged evolved matured a little bit and we got that that one friend that just is not coming along yeah that that, that, (laughs) that one guy who still plays in a band and does cocaine and drinks (laughs) oh i i know those guys well you know specifically as we get as we mature as we age it gets harder and harder sometimes you know especially when there's you know family and kids and things and like it you know our foundational realities change it gets harder to 
you know, go go back to to experiencing that yeah, when, person sometimes. When you've got uh, a wife and three kids, you don't want the guy showing up with with a blonde wig and spandex. You don't want to let him in the house. It's you know, I mean, people got to get up in the morning and shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, and I think that Ned definitely yeah. was getting up in the morning. Yeah, three a.m. What are you doing here still? Come on. I mean, you know, yeah. so, uh, so I think that, yeah, there's, there's a, he, but, but that whole thing starts the, the isolationism, him avoiding, you know, him walking away starts with this anxiety around this lie that he's trying to keep to himself. Mm-hmm. And as long as he separates himself from all of that, then he, there's no chance that he's going to have to talk about it. Because he's made the point to Catelyn that the discussion is not on the table. And who else at Winterfell is going to question him? Right. Yeah, good point. And it, that that's the other thing, uh, just in regards to John himself. He, we, when they part at the King's Road, he says he'll tell John about his mother the next time they see each other. I mean, don't you think that that's probably also a lie? I mean, did he actually intend to tell John, or or is it possible that he felt that once John was part of the Night's Watch, then John would be safe from Robert's grasp and he could safely tell him? No, I don't think he was going to tell him. I think he was so shitty at lying because what because the lie that he's really been telling is just a lie of obfuscation right it's Mm. just something he's not saying and i think he's such a shit liar that he still hadn't come up after 20 years with a decent story to (laughs) tell the kid to his face you know he came up with this thing that he told cat you know right to begin with but do we have any indication that he's ever had any version of that conversation since i mean what we know is you know some bastardization of the thing that he told cat. And I think that it was just a further stalling technique. So he could try to come up with something to tell the kid that he could look him in the face when he was telling him. (laughs) But I don't think he was ever really going to tell him. It's so funny that the guy who's holding the biggest lie in the world, they're holding the biggest untold truth in the world is the world's worst liar here. <laughs> is right. Also really bad at it. Like Littlefinger would have handled that shit without breaking a sweat, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. The other aspect of this is that, well, you know, once Ned does get into King's Landing uh, and is at Robert's side and Robert's ordering the, the death of, of Daenerys and, and, and what have you. I mean, Ned resigns being the hand. He wants to isolate himself again. Right. Right. But he, is he doing that on the stance that it, it that it's killing Danny, who he doesn't feel will be any threat, uh, or, or you know maybe even he thought Viserys was still alive that they would not be threats to them, or is he doing you know on the stance of honor, or is he really just kind of doing a quasi Targaryen kind of big loop thing? He's really just trying to protect uh, John. Um, he he's he's. I mean, was he doing the thing with the chil- with the other kids uh, simply to extend so that John doesn't get looked at in any way? Or here's a worse possibility. And again, rabbit holes, folks. Is it possible that that really if it hadn't been for the whole Rhaegar Lyanna thing and once he found out what the truth was, I mean, has he always been kind of a quasi Targaryen loyalist because, you know, Lyanna was married to Rhaegar and has his nephew. Oh man, that is b- such blasphemy. 
it's hard for me to really stomach. I don't like that is such out of the box thinking, dude. Like I, cause I had always taken it at face value that his reaction to Danny was based on her age, mm-hmm. which seems like a reasonable reaction. Okay. You know, we don't kill children. We're grown ass men. Like, you know, come on now. Um, and, but because, and also I think just the fact that there's really no evidence of him trying to use John's Targaryen, you know, like I, I just, I, that, that basically suggests that Ned was scheming a long con to try to take advantage mm. of John's Targaryen bloodline in order to be able to set up like some sort of a Targaryen Stark alliance that really at the point that the only person left is Danny seems like, you know, Ned Stark would have had better options if he was trying to set up an alliance against Robert. Right. It seems like he would have had better options than Danny, <laughs> especially yeah, yeah, Danny yeah. at the point at which Ned knew about Danny because at that point she is literally still a child, even though she's not being treated like one where she's at. Um, <clears throat> Ned certainly wouldn't have, I don't think would have considered her a ripe age for marrying off uh, just yet. But also, you know, there was no evidence that he had yet of the whole mother of dragons of her, like even just her individual value, which is of course much more than most other individuals you know, uh, what with her dragons and all. So I, to me, like that's a bridge too far, Mm. but God, I've spent a lot of time, like a a weird amount of time thinking about it. (laughs) because (laughs) It's a good bridge, man. It's a nice bridge. I just don't need to get to the other side. I got you. Well, this this is what we do. This is what we do. I pull the rubber band back just as far as I possibly can. And then I hand it to Mike so he can just let go of it. That's that's what we do here at Podcast Wonderful. But what do you think? I mean, because you, you know, your feelings about, uh, you know, honor as embodied in that character, um, you know, it basically I have always read the lie as him considering it more honorable to lie and uphold his sister's wishes Mm -hmm. and keep this human being alive who he is his nephew so the, those are it's the two things that he is accomplishing outweigh for him on the honor scale the thing that he is the lie that he is telling. Okay, me- that's how I've always read it. Is that do you think that that's too simple of an interpretation? Oh no, I think that that's probably the exact interpretation, uh, but interpretation. But I do feel like as I pull the rubber band back one more time, <laughs> it's, it's like. Okay, he's obviously saving Liana's kid because of the Stark blood. But he is also potentially protecting the next Targaryen heir. Oh, okay, so, but that actually, that's really, oh, God damn you, Matt. Oh, that's so good. Uh, because that also suggests that he would understand that Robert is a usurper because he knew that Liana was not kidnapped. And so that means that he knows Robert is a usurper 
and so he knows the whole thing is built on a lie. Mm-hmm. And do you, does that do you think that seems like something that would bother him? But we don't have any indication of that, right? Yeah, true enough. Oh, that's so selfish. And oh wow, wow! Is that where is that where you were going? Yeah, but basically, this, or did yeah. I actually just extend your bridge? You, you actually, <laughs> the final brick is in place. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. I mean, I'm couching Ned again a little bit, but, you know, if he was truly an honorable person, then the idea that the that the king, his best buddy, was a usurper and that Ned helped him get there, mm. you would think would eat at him. Mm. Yeah, we got uh, we get, you know, unless we look into Brand's visions, we've got, uh, you know, a good 15, 16 years we don't know what Ned was doing. Was he twiddling his thumbs, thinking, damn, I wish oh, this doesn't, you know, whatever. Right. Wow. Wow. That's, uh, that's a good hole, too, Matt. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> let's climb out of that hole to, uh, <laughs> to, to a fire pit, and that would be Catelyn, um, <laughs> because Catelyn absolutely hated John. Do you? Let me ask you this, because this isn't in our notes, but... For years and years, Catelyn resented John needlessly, obviously. Um, and despite an occasional guilt trip, uh, as w- that she kind of showed with Delissa, it's not clear that even her promises in prayer, when John was deathly ill, uh, or, or it is clear actually that uh, even when she promised in prayer to the Seven that if John would survive this deathly illness that he had as a kid, that uh, you know that that she couldn't sway her resentment at all but her problems with ned let me just throw this out there her problems with ned was it because he wouldn't address the subject with her more so than it was the fact that he came home with a bastard i i mean it seems i don't yeah i think that seems because it seems like they had such a kind of you know warm openness about everything else right i mean i think that's a pretty solid take yeah i realize that's not adding much to the conversation no but... no but but I, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy that you're not you're not snapping that rubber band back yeah you know, that's all i'm saying <laughs> but but just just think about how miserable catlin's life uh had was more or less and how unmiserable it could have been at least in regards to John, if Ned had just told her the truth, could, could you? But, could he not trust anyone? Okay, so what are the, what are the consequences of Catelyn knowing? So then Catelyn knows that Robert's a usurper. Catelyn knows that. <laughs> <laughs> but there's no, it's really not like functional knowledge because it's not like, you know, River Run and Winterfell can well, get together and overrun the South. Right, right. And it doesn't seem like there's any intention, even though, you know, Rob further on declares the North independent. Here, here's the other thing. If Ned tells her this wild and crazy story about Rhaegar Re- and Lyanna, does she believe him? Does she think he's just lying? 
Does she still think no? That's your, <laughs> your, your, that's your bastard. I hate you. <laughs> that's so hilarious. No, I think she has to know him well enough to know that he's a terrible liar. And if he was telling that story, that's just way too much. That's you can't have made that shit up. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, that's such a good question. No, I think she buys it. I think she buys it. I just I think that because you know in it, she she seemed to be a little bit more a little bit less like Ned was more active in the power politics game. Mm-hmm. But she seemed to be less disdainful of it. You know what I mean? Especially like once she started dealing with Rob and, you know, Ned was out of the picture and all that kind of stuff. She seemed a little more aristocratic in that way. Like she had been trained to play that game in a way that Ned, while certainly the training was available to him, right? He lived with Robert Aaron or John Aaron or Robert Aaron, right? So he just seemed to be a little more like standoffish about it in that very stark kind of way you know, that they have. Um, And so it seems like it might've been harder for her to just sit on, but I don't know that that would have had any practical effect outside of Winterfell, which it actually would have made much more peaceful. Mm. Oh, Matt, you keep rewriting this book to be like, it's, it's it's become a little nice little pop-up book fairy tale, hasn't it? (laughs) Uh, you know, I love those books where you open them up and the picture just kind of stands, <laughs> and then and and then and then you hit your nose on them when you're trying to read the words because you're you're uh, you're too old and you can't see the printing anymore. <laughs> I love those. Still, God, I got you know that was one of the favorite things that I ever did when I was younger was just read those pop up books. I, 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 that was two weeks ago. Anyway, uh, <laughs> anything else on Catelyn and, and John's effect on her? Well, you know, I mean, it just really more than anything else seems like it would have reduced her personal anguish, which the considering the way her life ended and not just the Red Wedding, but the last year or so, mm. last year and a half or whatever, it you know, I like ideas that reduce, that I can fantasize about a reduction of her stress. So right. I'm glad we had that conversation. But I don't know that it would have had a practical effect outside of on her personal mental state. Fair enough. I can agree with that probably as well. Um, <laughs> they did have kids, thank God, due to John's rebellion <laughs> or John's birth uh, and Robert's rebellion. Um, and uh, so John has a whole bunch of cousins and and those cousins have direwolves. Even John gets a direwolf. His statement about the symbolism of the same number of pups as Stark children um, that basically save those pups. Those kids don't have those direwolves. And, and granted, <laughs> uh, none of the direwolves have come out to very positive circumstances, but it, in a way, the kids have benefited from those. Um, and they've had some negative effects on them, too, because all direwolves save John and, and Arya's are, are now dead, and I think that Game of Thrones has actually been trying to kill Jon's direwolf for a long time because he's too expensive, <laughs> where you can just do one scene with Arya and everything's wrapped up. But with Jon, you kind of still need him around every once in a while. Uh, so they've been trying to kill Jon's direwolf for quite a while. But Rob 
was dying at the same time as 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 we assume Grey Wind was. So I, I'm not sure that Grey Wind was actually on Rob's mind, but still, you know, that you know, unfortunately, it became the direwolf became a big uh, symbol of of humiliation, which Arya had to witness when uh, Grey Wind's head was put on Rob's body. That's disgusting. Mm. Um, then you think about Bran's direwolf, Summer. Um, he he did help to save John at the tower when uh, when the wildlings were on their way to the wall, and he also defended Bran a few times. He he died helping save Bran at the tree. I'm not sure that it really affected Bran in any way because by the time he's out of the tree and down to the wall, he's not really thinking about anything except three billion thoughts going through his head. He's now kind of like he's lived too many lives. Um, to be able to place any too much importance on any one, including mirrors, that bothers me. But um, <laughs> that, that's just a fan talking there. Sorry, uh, that bothers me. Uh, you have- no, dude, that was a painful scene, bro. I mean, if you didn't find that pain, that scene painful, like you, the, your humanity has been reduced in some weird way. I don't understand. Yeah. Like that's yeah, that was a tough scene. I think it was meant to be. Yeah. They pulled it off, you know. They definitely did. They definitely the did. The actress especially, like, I was all in with her. Anyway, sorry. No, no. I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> no, all good. All good. You know, and one of my favorite characters, definitely not a lot of people's favorite characters, Sansa, she was deeply affected by the loss of Lady. I mean, that created all kinds of tension and resentment between her and Arya, which has kind of festered into tensions at Winterfell, even to, even into season seven, they, they, they don't know how to act around each other um, in a storyline that is questionable. But never mind. It, it's still, you know, I like to think in my own but little fantasy point, rabbit hole. That point is solid. The point you're making, regardless of, right. Yeah, regardless of how it played out, I, I still feel right. like that those tensions were there, um, even right up to, uh, well, at le- at very least to their first meeting, and then you can take the story from there. Um Rickon was obviously still alive uh, when Umber presented Shaggy Dog's head, um, so he probably experienced quite a bit of loss there. Um, probably thought more about the dog, because Rickon never seemed all that smart. I don't see if he even realized that he was going to die. He just was worried about <laughs> Shaggy Dog dying there. Um, and then, of course, Arya, uh, you know, shortly before, before Sansa lost Lady, she had to chase Nymeria off to save Nymeria, and she was only reunited briefly with a now very wild Nymeria on her when Arya was on her way back to Winterfell. That scene was very heartbreaking for me. Um, I, I don't think a lot of people were affected by it the same way as, as I was, but I was just kind of like the, the fact that Nymeria had become her own self the same way that Arya had become her own self, which was nothing recognizable really from what they had been before. Um, right. to me that, that was a, a very metaphorically sad statement. You know, I, it was just, uh, I, so that really got me. I don't know how much it got Aria. Well, <clears throat> yeah. I, well, it not touching Aria and yeah, I think that's part of what you find so depressing about it. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I, I'm interested in that. I want to talk about that. Like, because there's a certain, like, um, there's a nostalgia there for, and you know, you have a nostalgia there for Aria and the kind of Aria that we were introduced to, um, 
which of course makes me wonder about your own nostalgia for your own youth. You know, I think that like Star Wars so far has made about $48 billion on fucking nostalgia. Like, I think like there's, you know, there are like the movies are cool, but come, but the way people talk about them as this freaking religious experience is based around memories of our lives when we were not complete, mm. when we were not our complete selves. And it is so much easier to recall fondly those moments when we were not complete. And what I mean by not complete is that we did not have a complete grasp of the gray areas and, and, you know, yeah. uh, we had not yet experienced our first existential dilemmas. Yeah. We, you know, we were opening up pop-up books and the death star came up. Right. And like, it was so, it was such a pure thrill. Yeah. You know, I think that's the thing is like, I am nostalgia for smell for, for the purity of scent. And it's hard for me to imagine now it's also quite possible that like, you know, we all know that like our, our systems don't function as well, you know? So at 41, when I think about what things smelled like when I was 10 years old, um, you know, I've inhaled a lot of dirty shit in the time <laughs> since then as well. You know, I've done things to like ruin it. I mean, I lived in New York for a lot, you know, right. Yeah. But, but it it's, but it's not just a physical, like literally an olfactory experience. There is also a purity to my ability to just think about cookies <laughs> at that age that I, I can't just think about cookies anymore. You know what I mean? I got other, I got just other shit that's on my mind, regardless of what I do of, you know what I mean? Right? Like as you become an adult, you have other things. And so I think that there is, uh, I'm, I'm curious, like what you think is missing or it or or is there a purity that that you are longing for or i'm curious what that is both in your own experience which you can tell me that you don't want to fucking talk about on this podcast and that's totally fine or just in your experience of the aria character that is so profound for you because this is a this is a constant you talk about this every time we talk about this show. You talk about Arya's loss of innocence. It has affected you profoundly. And I wonder if you have a read on that or if we just want to move the fuck on. And have <laughs> Axel cut this part out is totally fine, dude. <laughs> no, I, I'll, I'll, I'll address the Arya part. And um, I think some of it is tied to me. I don't like to see people lose their innocence at the age that Arya did. I, I, I think it, I think it's more about the age that she's at, and I, I mm. love your I love your response because we're going to talk about Arya some more here in a way that I feel like John affected her, and I love your response to this. But it's it's one thing to see uh, an eighteen year old learn skills with a weapon, go mm. off to war in an army, and come back a killer, and his mentality be changed by that. It's yet another thing to see, uh, a, let's say, a, a gangbanger putting a gun in the hands of a nine-year-old and that nine-year-old getting shot just because he doesn't know really what to do with the weapon. 
Well, or as happens in America, uh, you know, uh, a father giving his nine-year-old a gun mm. and the kid shooting, you know, a sibling or shooting the father mm-hmm. or shooting themselves because they don't know what they're getting know, into yet. Yeah, Because they don't know what they're getting into yet. And there is an additional layer of tragedy or something like that. Another thing that you just said that may or may not figure into this consciously is it's different when you see an 18 year old and he goes into the army and he comes back a killer. Mm. Clearly, you know, George is working the, the kind of, you know, serial killer trope against it's normal, the way it normally plays out by putting it in the character of a young girl. Yeah. And to what extent do you think that affects your feelings about this? Is it somehow harder to see, a young girl become a serial killer than a young boy. And, you know, I don't know. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer on this question because our, our, our feelings and our responses to these things are so deeply conditioned socially that, you know, it's, it's one of those things that is more about exploration than saying like, Oh, well this like is, who you are as a person because that's how you responded to that. You know what I'm saying? Like that's some shit that is hard to answer. Yeah. I, and I, I find it interesting that you pointed out that I did have, it would seem to imply a, a gender preference, but I really wasn't looking at it when it was coming out of my mouth. I said it poorly, I suppose, but I really, no, it's I, not, I don't think it's, I don't think that's correct. I don't think it's, you say it poorly. I think it's, it's reasonable to feel that way. I think most serial killers are dudes. I think when we think about 18 year olds who can't think of anything to do with themselves, but go fucking murder people, it's usually dudes. And when, and like the best case scenario is they join the military or something where they have a way, like an outlet for those feelings and somebody to structure that shit for them and consequences. If they just go half cocked and don't fall within the structure, I think that's one of the benefits benefits of having an organized military that societies have that we don't really talk about very often is that's a place for somebody to go when they're 18 years old and they don't understand why they feel so strongly because like I didn't want to kill people when I was 18 but the the depth of emotion and the feeling of of being correct in a male at that age, and maybe it's everybody, I don't know, but I can, I just, I know from experience, the the feeling, the rage of, of being a male at that age and not having everybody take you seriously all the time mm. needs fucking structure, bro. <laughs> like, yeah. un, unstructured, that is a very destructive force. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, that that when we, when he puts those feelings in a fem- you know in a, a young w- woman character it it plays against us and and our conditioning but it also plays against what is kind of true which is that 18 year old women seem to be better at handling their shit than 18 year old men even if they are destructive verbally or you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like even like it's obviously not to discount all the ways that eighteen-year-old women can be insufferable. Like I'm forty-one. I don't 
fuck around with 18 year olds right? right but the the level of kind of violence and 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 physical acting out that we see in aria is more normally associated with men i i think that you said that i think it's fine that you said that actually and that it's worth discussing why both as a part of the fact that we are alive and functioning in society and as a fact of how we interpret this story. That was maybe more than I needed to say, but I think you know where I'm going. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that that was an, that was an excellent point to make. So why don't we talk about uh, Aria herself and John's effect on her? I mean, it's clear that Catelyn um, or Septa Mordain they never wanted Arya to do anything except so and be a lady. And, and, and even Ned's kind of notions uh, about Arya saying that she was going to grow up to, to, you know, be the, the lady of a castle. And she told him, mm. you know, the famous words, that's not me, just like she told Arya, that's not you. Um, you know, but Ned at least appeased her in a way that he, he gave her uh, a chance to uh, study with Cyril Farrell to study, you know, water dancing. But Ned would have never done that if John hadn't already given her needle. Mm-hmm. So is John indirectly or directly, however you like, an enabler uh, to Arya uh, to go down this path in a certain way? <laughs> you really hate him. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> I, I mean, what do you think? I, because I, I, I have distinct thought. I know. Uh, what do you think? No, I, I, I'm asking the question because I want, I want an answer that I'll like. Uh, the answer <laughs> that I would like would be, well, yeah, man, she would have, you know, he should have told her she shouldn't be playing with bows and arrows. He should be, he should be a male just like all of the other males in in Westeros. You know, he should be as dumb as Ned about it, saying that she should just be the lady of a house. Uh, because then Arya is uh, probably dead by now, actually. So maybe not. Maybe, you know, maybe this actually helped her out. Uh, but I, I just uh, I'm just asking the question so that I, you can give this great answer <laughs> that you have. Well, I mean, I, you know, this is a question that we talk about, right, is is how much does this kind of society entertainment video games music whatever how much do those things affect the individual who decides to go out and kill right this is a part of the gun conversation it's Mm -hmm. like you know guns obviously raise the death count but also there are 300 million guns in this country and most of them aren't used to kill people every year you know so there is this kind of like this isn't there are no kind of easy answers here um, so even when she, you know, you could obviously say like, she has used the sword to kill people. That's pretty clear. <laughs> like that's, that's a pretty direct line. John gave her a sword, told her to stick him with the pointy end. And then she went and did that. And now people are dead and right. But mm. I think that the, you know, the thing that you can't credit John with is the fucking look on her face when she's doing it, man. I that's not his fault. Like she is she has enjoyed her revenge killings. And we've also seen her turn away from a couple of jobs, right? 
But turning away from a job doesn't take away how much she enjoyed repeating his words back to him as she slid the knife through the throat of the guy that killed her friend. You know, so I I think that it is one of, you know, I hate to like parrot an NRA bumper sticker, you know, but like if she didn't have that sword, she'd find something else, you know, to, I mean, I think that the training that she did with the faceless people and just the comfort that she had, like basically living in a fucking morgue, bro. Come on, like, would you want to live in a morgue? Mm. <laughs> like, I mean, even if you work there, do you have to sleep there? Do you have to eat there? Like, my God, I, that to me suggests that there is something much deeper happening with her. And it may be, in fact, that her relationship with John was more based on the fact that he would kind of allow her to have those sensibilities long before he actually aided her with a weapon. Long before he abetted those feelings with, you know, an actionable tool that he recognized and and allowed her to have mm. aggressive tendencies. And that's actually why she liked him. Not for any other reason. I couldn't just give me one simple answer, man. No, dude, you got the wrong person on this podcast <laughs> for that shit. <laughs> one simple answer that I wanted was yes. He's a killer yeah. maker. It's all his fault. He's a killer maker. Uh, Dude, he sucks, man. <laughs> and this whole thing would be better off without him. You know what? Without him, she wouldn't have never had the notion that she could have done something like that. And she would have been a perfectly happy homemaker. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that's exactly that's exactly who she would have been. Of course. I think, and she, dude, I think and she'd, is... she'd have been as consequential to the story. <laughs> as Septimordain. As Septimordain. Uh, yeah. I think this is really fascinating, man, because I think that what we are learning about you is that you, because so far you have argued for basically arranged marriages and John to not be so progressive. And I find this fascinating that, like, there you you have a lot of conservative values, but they – but conservative values are mixed up like the conservative values of honor and duty and things are mixed up with all of these other kind of values of, uh, you know, a lack of meritocracy, you know, and of course we are talking about real life, but we are also talking about the story. You know, there are all these kind of consequences to some of these conservative ideas that you just can't stomach. You know, that you just won't tolerate. Mm. Um, and and I think that that like that that push and pull um, is hard for you to reconcile. You know, why is it like it seems like honor just gets you killed. So why does he keep talking about honor as such a virtuous thing from that perspective? Because to me, when I read him talking about honor. To me, he's talking out of the side of his mouth. To me, it's sly. To me, it's propaganda. And and he recognizes that that perspective is propaganda, that all we can really do is try our hardest and try to like uphold humanity and try to treat others the way we would want to be treated. And that if it's based on anything outside of that moment-to-moment decision, because treating 
people in that way is a moment-to-moment decision. It's never something that is natural to us. We are naturally selfish. We are naturally greedy, right? Like I think most of us are. And we have to decide all the time, both in real life when we're walking around and like on Twitter and shit, to not be that thing that we naturally are, which is kind of animalistic. And to uh, layer the human, the humanity over it, to try to recognize others and to try to live with a certain level of honor and duty. Um, that's just hard. And it's hard because not many people do it. And so it leads to consequences. And I think that from what I know of you, you seem to uh, value those things in real life also. You know, and I think that it's it's part of why we go to fantasy is because that shit doesn't happen in real life. <laughs> like that is like Well, evidently it doesn't happen in fantasy either. I know, and isn't that frustrating? <laughs> I mean, God Man, somebody put a Brandon Sanderson book in my hand and make a TV show out of it, please. <laughs> I mean, look, there's a reason why, you know, those stories still work. You know what I mean? There's a reason why those books still sell, even if they don't break out. You know what I mean? They break out of the of of the pack. But meanwhile, there's a thousand people who are living very, very well that you've never heard of. Right. Telling that white hat, black hat story, because people still want to go to fantasy for that because the shit is not real. What I respect so much about this particular series is the exact thing that frustrates you so much about it, which is that he doesn't do that. You know, it's taken me five years of podcasting with you to be able to say that (laughs) one sentence, but that is the conclusion that I've come to. And and, and the thing is, is I don't want to not give George or Dave and Dan credit Mm-hmm. for doing that I, mm-hmm. I i think that that does deserve credit i'm just i don't like john i wanted john dead after Alistair thorne stabbed him ah after all oh Dan. that would have been so fascinating so how do you i mean i want to hear that like how do you what how would that have worked like how would you well, obviously just, like it, write the story for me <laughs> kill john kill john and alistair takes over write the story for me from there uh well, Sansa and and Theon still escape from Winterfell. So she has to put together her own alliance, putting herself in greater power. Uh, and I think it gives Littlefinger more room to wiggle her because I'm not so sure that... Um, yeah, I, I, I think that... I, I think uh, then you go down the Axel Foley thing. I remember him in... Um, Roberto from a pot of cast had some kind of cast right before season seven started. And Alec, uh, Axel went into this whole elaborate thing of what was going to happen and how Littlefinger was playing a role about going here and there, you know, doing this teleport thing and everything. And I'm like, I, that happens if John doesn't come back. Wow. So it's not without conflict because you're not a Littlefinger supporter. No. Like, because I mean, you're a Sansa supporter. I'm so. a Sansa supporter. I mean, and, you know, and ultimately, Littlefinger will get his, just like he did. You know, it's right? Just, it's a question of how soon it happens. And so the 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 reunion of John and Sansa, the potential reunion of John and Arya, those things are not 
those you don't like you're not excited enough by those prospects one of which we've seen one of which we haven't right right those those things don't work enough for you to overcome this well given that we hadn't had any scenes really between john and sansa i mean i felt i when they re- reunited i thought that was emotional um but uh i couldn't find any reason for the emotion other than just the fact that ramin javadi scored really well yeah season seven was not well that was six wasn't it? <laughs> well yeah well if it was it was like the prequel to seven in a way you know what i mean yeah, yeah, like yeah. In a, it was it was set up for it, that just that whole yeah yeah that whole thing yeah, yeah. there were there was there were there was no reason for them to, i mean i i understand they think that their family. They realize that somebody in their family is still alive. That's all good and well, but I, there, I couldn't find any way to justify the emotion that I actually did feel of that, other than Ramin Javadi's score, which was masterful. So you know, if that's sometimes that's what it comes down to. I mean, wow, man. So, <laughs> okay, so John is never born. So what happens to write this out for me then? What happens to Sansa and Arya if there's no John? If there's no Rhaegar and Lyanna? Write out for me Sansa and Oh man and Arya. Let's see. Uh You thought I, you were at the bottom of the rabbit okay. hole and then I found Well but see but see if 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 they're if they're I'm at the bottom of the hole and what I'm seeing is that is if there's no Rhaegar or Lyanna, there's no Sansa or Arya. Oh, you're right. So that's so, a moot question. Yeah. No wonder we didn't ask it before. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Let's move on to the Night's Watch. <laughs> Man, that is so good, dude. That is so good. All right. The Night's Watch. And how are they affected? Matt, they been? Uh, just, I'm just speaking for everyone because I'm just going to do that. I miss you, Matt. It's great to talk to you. Oh, this man. has been lovely. Well, I, Everybody misses this. I fucking guarantee it. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I what I miss is is, is having it to, somebody like you to bounce it off of. You know, and that, that's that's what's made this so much fun for me today. Good. So, uh, mushiness aside, let's move on to the Night's Watch. <laughs> because uh, John has had a great effect on the Night's Watch. He's been the Lord Commander. Um, he's one of the first people to ever leave the Night's Watch without getting his head cut off, at least so far. Um, but he's affected some of the people at the Night's Watch, mostly. Um, I mean, obviously, the person that me and you love, Samwell, has been most affected by John. He essentially saved Sam, taught him how to survive, helped, uh, helped everybody else to kind of get him through basic training. Um, then he showed Sam all kinds of trust in regards to, you know, what Sam was telling him from the books, whatever. Um, Sam basically got him elected as Lord Commander when you look at it. Um, but you have to also wonder, <laughs> and here I am going down another rabbit hole, because uh, I just, I love hating on John. Did John's experience coming back and telling him about what happened with him and Egret, did that inspire Sam to consider, to pursue Gilly even more than he should have once that they were all back together at Castle Black? I mean, obviously Sam liked Gilly before then and John even tried to back in season two he's like what are you doing she's she's Craster's girl your night's watch you can't you can't do that but then John has to come back when he gets back to the wall and say yeah yeah man I was with a wildling you know it's like and so Sam thinks oh right I should be with a wildling too you know 
Um, and, and does that cause him to be even, you know, does the fact that John supports his acts of bravery or sometimes defiance, I mean, does Tar, does, does Sam even steal the, the Tarly sword heartsbane, uh, by when he's choosing Gilly over his own family? I mean, does Sam make that kind of decision without John's influence making him who he is? Well, uh, no, I think also though. I think that you can't underestimate the effect of, you know, his experience with the White Walkers on the Heartsbane situation. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that has, he's a believer for very good reason, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think that the idea, you know, if if kind of the last thing to push him over the edge is like, well, I could, you know, somebody, I could at least take this thing uptown where somebody else can swing it as opposed to it just sitting here warming itself over the fire, you know. Um, but yeah, I think, I also think that there's an under, maybe an underreported or underappreciated rebellious element to Samwell uh, that we don't really know. But, you know, the way he describes his experience before he got sent to the wall is, you know, uh, pretty pitiful. Yeah. You know, but that's not anyone's whole story. You know what I'm saying? Like he had to have some moments where he was doing shit that he knew he wasn't supposed to be doing. <laughs> yeah, like dressing up and dressing up in his sister's clothes and reading books. I mean, right. Like there is a defiance in that, you know, <laughs> I mean, you do it once and you don't know you're not supposed to or whatever. And then it is made very clear to you that you're not supposed to. The second time you do it is defiant, right? That's true. I mean, that's by very definition, yes. by very definition. So I think that there is kind of an underappreciated element of rebellion to Samwell um, and that we don't really have because he's the one who's telling us his own stories. So mm. he doesn't tell them in a heroic light. But he just needs a better director to make his movie. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it would be a completely different version, you know. But I do think maybe one like the pop up fairy tale books. Maybe that would one be like that. absolutely where he gets to be the hero. Uh, and but you know, going back to almost the beginning of this conversation, I don't know if you know if he's alive to even do any of that shit without John, yeah. let alone yeah. have, you know, the stomach to have those additional experiences. Um because when he did kill the walker, it was outside of Craster's, right? Uh they were at some shack when he killed the walker. But it was post Craster's. It was post Craster's. You yeah. know, and so at that point, you know, He's already been deeply affected by John, clearly. Right. Um, and so I think there's kind of a combination of his natural rebellious streak uh, and his association. And also, not just his association with John, but his feeling that even if everything else falls apart, he still John will still protect him to the extent that he's able. You know what I mean? So there's that like there's that personality influence, but there's also that ongoing daily influence of like, well, the you know, the biggest kid on the schoolyard has got my back. So I'm going to go ahead and give it a shot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. OK. All right. Well, what about some of the other guys that that uh, 
he's had an influence on at the Night's Watch. Obviously, Ollie ended up betraying him because, you know, John made a decision not only to embrace the wildlings, but he really never did much about what happened to Ollie's family, you know, other than just kind of pat him on the back and say, I'm sorry. Fair. That's fair. Yeah, finally, I got one John criticism in that somebody can agree with. That's um, totally fair. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean. Ollie I, had I, beef. But but see, here, here's another thing that goes back to Arya. You know, I don't like seeing Ollie get to a point where he's putting a knife in his hand and 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 stabbing John in the heart. I don't like seeing him take the last shot. No more than I would like seeing Arya stab somebody in, you know. And, and right. in their life, this is they're too young for this to be happening. Um, and as far as Alistair killing John, I mean, I, I don't know. Alice, I never really thought of Alistair. This is this is weird. Uh, and I asked the question, you know, if it wouldn't have been for John questioning him and all that, is that what helped lead Alistair to decide that he had to assassinate John? But really, if there's any one person that went after John, I could see Alistair, and be it right or wrong, feeling like he was doing it for the correct reason. Definitely. I Definitely. I don't think that it was, I think that there was, you know, uh, obviously some personal vengeance in there. He felt personally insulted. I think it's fair for him to have felt personally insulted. But I think that, you know, that whole For the Watch shit was true to the people who were saying it especially him. Does I mean, anybody does anybody else order Grin and Pip down to or uh Grin down to defend against the giant if John's not there? <laughs> Cuz Alistair's not there either. Right. At that point. I think I brought that up earlier, sorry. Mance wins. Uh, yeah, I did. Um No, but this is that is a that's a solid point in your larger Mance wins case. That's a good detail. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I think that he, that, that Alistair just, could, you know, that he, he could not think of there being a different tactic that could possibly work. Right. And this is the idea of kind of the difference between like life on paper and life in front of you. You know what I mean? We all have like ideally how we would act in a given situation, but we don't act that way. Right. It's always, we're trying to get to that place, but we never actually get there, you know? And so I think that, that I kind of forgive Al, sir, even though I don't agree with, you know what I'm saying? Right. It's one of those things like, I don't know if I, if I agree with your tactics, but philosophically I see where you're at, you yeah. know? Yeah. Well, I understand why you came to the decisions that you did. I just don't know if they're necessarily the right decisions. Yeah. You know, and I think that he, he had been insulted by John, mm. you know, I think that that was a legitimate feeling. And I think that, you know, there's also always kind of the age thing. I mean, I think when you like have a boss who's 10 years younger than you and this kind of a dick, like it's one thing to have a boss who's younger than you, but, and is kind of a dick. Like that's like, uh, that gets pretty hard to tolerate in some ways that aren't really hard, easy to put into words, you know? Yeah. 
Here's the one thing that I, 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 I don't understand about John. He leaves the Night's Watch, obviously because everybody wants to kill him. I mean, that's a legitimate reason <laughs> to, to want to leave. But then he makes it all about the Night's Watch <laughs> after, he gets, after he gets Winterfell. I mean, now all of a sudden it's about the White Walkers, right? Why wasn't it about the White Walkers when he put Ed in charge? I mean, come on. Mm, yep. Fair. Okay, fair. <laughs> good old, good old Ed. Uh, Ed yeah, it's always funny. He's always got a good uh, talking about something gross or something depressing. We love Ed for that. Well, and I think you know, I think John is, um, you know, he's always so uh, convinced of whatever he's saying in the moment. You know that that shit can be annoying after seven seasons. You know, it's like, how many times are you going to be wrong? And you say it with the same, like, the same music, the same fucking face. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I feel like, I, you know, I don't know. And that's, I, I'm excited. I really, I really hope this, you know, obviously, I mean, it's not exactly news to say. I hope that book comes out soon. You know, because the more I go back and try to rewatch, the less, I mean, really, like, Kid Harrington has really the same approach to every fucking scene, you know? Mm. And, and it is getting harder and harder to take seriously, you know, when he gives the same goddamn speech in the same voice that he did every, you know, anyway. Uh, but that's that's really a side, a bitchy side note to this larger conversation, right? Well, it, it's a it's a technical aspect of a character conversation. But it affects the conversation about it. Does you know, it does it does affect it? It does affect it. I just the actor that played Alistair Thorne was fucking better. <laughs> like just like just be totally straight about it. That guy was really good, and in a way, I you know I believed his motivations. Um, and also he was just less fucking whiny about it. So I'm just more inclined to, you know, if I'm a member of the night's watch, I think I'm probably more inclined to be like, yeah, that guy, you know, uh, just as a force of personality, but also because, you know, John really is trying to suggest things that nobody's aware of that people don't, he really is trying to introduce new ideas and that is hard to do, you know, and most of us don't. Most of us are like, no, that's never happened before. Like that is most people's response and would be most people's response to that situation. So that's another good reason to forgive Alistair Thorne. This is a lot about Alistair Thorne. I didn't know I was so interested in Alistair. Alistair suddenly jumps off the page. Yeah. Just like a little pop-up fairy tale book. (laughs) Uh, But uh, I, and I have one other, uh, People that that John is affecting in our story uh, section uh, in Daenerys, but you wanted to talk about something first, right? Well, I mean, I think we've kind of, I kind of, yeah. I mean, as I tend to do, as soon as I started talking, I got the thing in that I wanted to talk about, um, which I think we've kind of been talking about, you know, which okay. is this idea of of what it is that we like about storytelling and like how you and I kind of approach things differently. Um, you know, which is, it seems like, you know, you appreciate the technical aspect of nuance and of complications and those kinds of things, but you seem emotionally unfulfilled by them. You seem like you desire an emotional fulfillment that is cleaner 
than this story is giving us so far. And I am emotionally fulfilled by the fact that it's not clean. I find clean storytelling in that way, frankly, kind of like frustrating. Mm. And, And I didn't realize for so long that what I'm hearing from you is what I express when the storytelling is clean in that way. The, it, not even the storytelling necessarily, but just the kind of the relative morality, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and so I think, it, you know, I'll ask again, do you think I'm overanalyzing that or do you think that I am correctly analyzing that? And I'm interested in what kind, if if you can give me an example of something that you found cleaner, like is lost a good example you know, of, of something that where the nuance is more in the storytelling and less in the character, if that makes sense. Ooh. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I look at each story individually as its own kind of story and how it works with itself, mm. I think. Uh, so it's hard for me to, like, compare our loss to a, a Game of Thrones to a... Oh gosh, I don't know. X Files, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I'm not. I'm not good at being one of these guys. Even though I'll talk about three billion different shows, you know, uh, on different in different places. I'm not good at relating any one of them to another. Mm-hmm. So I can't tell you what is a. I mean, I think that you're right in the fact that I'm I'm more of the clean story kind of guy. I just don't know if I can give you an example of it because I don't know that I've ever seen anything that i was totally satisfied with as a as a kind of a clean story oh that's fascinating now that's a challenge now i want you to write me a story so i can go make you a movie that'll be the first one you ever really was fully satisfied with (laughs) if i was a writer i would do so (laughs) no you just have to write it down on napkins i'll i'll you just have to write down like the outlines and i'll you know i'll I'll fill in the blanks it'll be fine all right all right (laughs) We write some fan fiction next. <laughs> Michael, but the cream will rise to the top. Oh, yeah. No one does it better than the Macho Man Randy Savage. On balance, off balance, doesn't matter. I'm better than you are, yeah. Matt Murdock. I will drive nothing but Mercedes or Rolls Royce. I will go nowhere on a commercial airliner. I will ride in nothing but limousines. Remember, when Ric Flair's in town, showtime! You're listening to Podcast Winterfell. So you have this other question here as to how we would finish the story. This is not a prognostication, folks. This is pure fan fiction. Yes. I want you to start with this. How I would finish? Um, From where we are right now at the end of Season 7. I think that uh, from where we are right now, I mean. Oh, first of all, is it with John or without John? With John, because it's where we are right now. I think that John is killed by the Night's King um, in front of Daenerys and then Daenerys and the Night's King essentially like, you know, it's matter and antimatter. Like they basically kill each other. Um, because I think that really we need a, a more or less clean slate 
at the end of the story. I would like for just everybody that we've ever heard of to be dead, basically. Um, the only, you know, with the exception, of course, of Sam and Gilly. Um, <laughs> the only question is, like, I have yet to come up with an idea for Cersei's demise that is creative enough to satisfy me. Um, but I think that basically Jamie has to kill her. You know, the whole thing has kind of been leading to Jamie killing her. Um, in my mind. So I think that there's some sort of a resolution with Jamie killing Cersei and then, uh, the Night's King killing John and then Danny and the Night's King, uh, emulate, co-emulating. Um, that's, I think it's the easiest thing. I think, you know, it's kind of the most dramatic, um, what it doesn't really do is resolve anything as far as John and his meaning goes. Mm. But I think that that is also kind of part of what he wants to do is not necessarily explain the mechanics of the magic. You know what I mean? Like that's one thing that I don't expect is to understand the mechanics of any of this stuff, to understand the quickening kind of that's happening why there were dragons and white walkers all of a sudden i don't expect him to explain any of that shit and i think that john's specialness or for lack of a better way of saying it is one of the things that won't get explained as a part of that larger series um i think that they will just kind of all die you know the dragons will die like this period of increased everything. John and Danny were the things that were required to meet it. And, you know, Cersei and, and, and Jamie were not Cersei and Jamie were just a part of whatever would have been happening anyway. Right. But that John and Danny were actually a part of this quickening and that in fact, Lyanna and Rhaegar to take it back to the beginning the way their relationship is described is a kind of a supernatural experience, right? This idea, you know, you can't choose who you love, but for them, it was even more than you can't choose who you love. They were willing to literally throw away everything for this sudden moment, this feeling, this connection that they had that apparently happened just like at a tourney, Right. They were just like looking at each other. Now, who knows what happened before that and all those kinds of things. But the idea that somehow this this increasing of the magic that created this, the, the return of the dragons and the White Walkers and everything. Another effect that it had was the relationship, was the, the power between them and the very quick conception Right. Because there's there's nothing to suggest that, like, you know, they were working on it for a few months. <laughs> like, it sounds like the, you know, the kid came, you know, pretty early on in their uh, coupling. Right. Perhaps while riding horseback away from Harrenhal. Maybe so. You know, so this idea that 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 John himself is a part of the embodiment of this magic. John and Danny are a flowering in the same way that the dragons and the white walkers are. And that all that all that shit's going to die at once 
It's all going to stop at once. And the idea being that basically this kind of resets the clock for the next thousand years, right? Mm -hmm. Or the next thousand, or not thousand years, the next thousand Night Watch commanders, which is, you know. So that's to me what I think is going to happen. And and also that way I can hopefully at some point in my life, if that's the way this whole thing finishes, stop thinking about this. <laughs> at some point in my distant future, I would like to go at least a full two days without considering some aspect of this story. All right. All right. Now, as a clean story kind of guy. Go for it. I, I'm, I'm going to try here uh, where we are now. First of all, uh, you got to have John and Danny find out John's true parentage. And you got to have a lot of, you know, oh, we really love each other, but we really can't kind of thing going on. You have to have uh, Danny and her, her remaining dragons facing off against the White Walkers with John leading an army as well against the White Walkers. You have to have Daenerys die in some kind of sacrificial way to save John, so that there's no conflict about who sits on the Iron Throne in the end. Um, once John is named the savior of the universe because he managed to fend back the White Walkers uh, with Danny's help, and uh, also king in the north, he will then descend upon King's Landing and reclaim um, the throne. Now, Danny may get to the throne first, just based on the kind of thing that she saw at the House of the Undying. She may she may get there before she ends up having to sacrifice herself for John. Uh, but she will never sit the throne. She will die. John will live. He will become the, the king, and then he'll somehow disband the kingdom into some kind of, you know, loose association once again. We'll have uh, the whole, like, the whole situation with the Eastern Bloc where everything becomes unstable. We return to the Age of Heroes where everything, everybody was just fighting everybody else, and all is good. Wow. And so what does John do? He just goes back to the Night's Watch? Uh that's a good question. I think he I think he uh leaves Winterfell the Sansa and yeah, goes back to the Night's Watch. Let's do that. Wow. There you go. Fantasy complete. Wow. That is I love that movie, Matt. I'll watch it twice. <laughs> that uh <clears throat> That's that's kind of clean, right? Yeah. As a whistle, bro. That's, yeah. I just, I have a hard time imagining, like, John the potato farmer is my only beef with that, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, maybe, well, he could, he could, uh, maybe, you know, he'll, he'll. No, I got it. Him and Euron open an arm wrestling bar. And, oh. <laughs> and, they are the main attraction and they arm wrestle every night. Um, and they have tables set up so other people can arm wrestle too. But they basically just spend the rest of their days arm wrestling and uh, drinking black beer. There you go. There you go. Dueling, right. dueling arm wrestling. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, to, and obviously there's, there's somebody playing. There's uh, some bard playing music. Clearly. Clearly. <laughs> Notice I didn't have any music in, in mine. <laughs> That's true. That's true. What happened? I don't know. I just, uh, I forgot. 
but but th- there is that ugly part. Come on, there is there is this ugly thing that we are going to have that I think you and I both feel like that once we once we get to season eight, you know, in uh, in as much as twenty three months, uh, in as little <laughs> as twelve. Um, once we get there, there's going to be some point where John has and and Danny have to find out about this aunt nephew you kind of thing yeah you know uh but nonetheless it feels like that john has had some answers for danny as to how to approach things that have been helpful and obviously danny saved john's butt up there in that east watch episode um so the question is (laughs) i i I guess well first of all let's just ask the stupid question because I think they're go- I think they're go- both going to be revolted by the fact that they find out that they're related but there is that Targaryen tendency so if Danny knew that he was her nephew um would the sex thing have ever happened in the first place or would she have been kind of like okay I'm still good looking oh my god uh I Ah, that's, uh, I don't know, man. That's a hard question to answer. Yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to parse that one out. I I think that the, she would not, but that's, that again is my looking at the honorable side of Daenerys. But I mean, is there, what is to be gained? Is there anything to be gained from having sex with him other than just having, you know, I mean, banging a hot dude, like on your boat? We are on the pump forever. It seems like a a great way to pass the time. I mean, right? But otherwise, like, is there any... Because it's not like there's any sort of, uh, like, strategic or political gain to that, right? Look look at what Danny is surrounded by, right? I mean, she's got a eunuch. That's not helping. She's got... She's got got a fucking army, all right? She could find somebody if that's what it was, you know... Well, I mean, Dario didn't even do it for her. So it's like, so now all she has is she's got a eunuch around her. She's got a dwarf around her. She's got Jorah Mormont. Oh, my God. He's old. And so <laughs> you, what, what choice? Davos, he's kind of cute, but he's still old, too. So I, John's the man. <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> sure. I mean, usually the leader of the kingdom has has a, you know, a range of concubines available, but I'm trying to figure out if there's another, there's no political gain to it. And, but it seems like there's a personal connection. Some Is there additional... no, wait a minute. Is there no personal gain to it? I mean, he's now bent the knee to her because he loves her. Yeah. Okay. All right. So she does it anyway because yeah. she needs the army of the North. I don't, that seems, she did say she was willing to marry for political gain, though. She said that to Dario, right? Mm-hmm. She might have to marry for political. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to say I think she does it because George hates us. That's why I'm going to say it. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the only good answer I got, but it's what I'm going with. All right. Well, let's say that... Um... She she knows about John and, and think of the opposite way. Would she consider him such a threat to her rule on the throne 
instead of even if he bent the knee, which he considered because of his true heritage, would she have him killed? Uh, um. Oh man, God, that's. Uh, I should have prepared better for these particular questions. I was like, oh, that's a good question. But then I started thinking about Ned or something. Um, would she have him killed? I just don't. She just doesn't seem to perceive threat. So I don't think so. Okay. You know, I think that she would basically just show him more and more stuff with the dragons until he was finally like, all right, fine. Like they're seriously like it's in a hula hoop right now. All right, you win. The other question to ask is, is once all of this truth comes out and everything, is there a possibility that anybody who is currently in Daenerys's camp, say a Varys, who comes to mind for me particularly, um, that he might switch his allegiances over to John? I, I, I mean, I don't think Jorah would. I guess technically now he thinks he probably, you know, once this comes out, he'll probably think he's got a chance, even though he doesn't. Um, but would Varys or, or even Tyrion switch to favor like a ruling of Jon over Daenerys and then say, well, we'll give you Dragonstone. I, Jon just doesn't seem like he's very strong. I mean, that's the thing to me is like the guys you're talking about, you know, especially Varys or, I mean, it seems like Tyrion believes in her, you know, Mm-hmm. Seems like Tyrion believes in her beyond just her capacity to punish his siblings, but John just doesn't seem like he's in much of a power position, or he wouldn't be there begging for help in the first place. So it's hard for me to see them. You know, the other thing is, it's hard for me to see them picturing John as being malleable. He doesn't seem malleable to me. You know, he mm-hmm. seems pretty fucking hard headed. Mm-hmm. Um. And, you know, I don't think Varys really wants to deal with hard-headed people. I think he would much prefer to deal with people that he can kind of, you know, manipulate, if not directly, like, write the papers for, you know? I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 can, I can definitely see that viewpoint as well. And we're going to have to break this conversation that John up. has affected that we haven't this talked about the conclusion uh, of at extensive one length as we are now the John three three hours, discussion well, between three, myself and Mike. Into this podcast. Oh we will come God. back for part two uh, at some later date here at no, Podcast I mean, Winterfell. You know, I Podcast think that it was, there was is where you can find some interesting all of the stuff there about the, the way John interacted. If with, you have any feedback uh, for the podcast, you can and also Stannis, Winterfell Pod, you know, or you can send an email to podcastwinterfell.com. He was in a different also, don't forget headspace that Podcast then, Winterfell and he's is part you know, of the kind of here and leading the network. charge again and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know that it's actually really valuable even to think much about those periods just because he was in such a different place. And more importantly, you can support. Uh, the but they, they do deserve a podcast network. Um, continued expansion. I thought John's by going with and Mance pledging to Patreon. Especially um, slash DVR. At the end when he was trying Thanks to for convince Mance. This is Matt. Been the See you next right. time. Though, and the way that Mance just wouldn't. And I have to wonder if that hasn't influenced him to be well up until he fell in love and wanted to do Daenerys. Uh, and he fell in love with her and, and wanted to do her up until that point he wasn't bending the knee either. right right but i think he's in a different headspace now so i don't know if that stuff is still 
I don't rolling know. around in the head. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, well. Plus, you know, he's died, so who knows what's what memories are there and what memories aren't. Good point. <laughs> uh, that stuff can change somebody. So, do you just now? Do you just every now and then you just like have that scene where they all stab him, and you just watch that occasionally when you need a little bit of like a boost? You should see me. I I get up on my tippy toes and and I do my uh, oh Tinkerbell clap. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just I just have a great time with that. I go, yeah, Ollie, he deserves that, Ollie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Alistair, I get where you're coming from, man. <laughs> no, I mean, I, don't. I think you've made a pretty good like. All right, you asked people on the Twitter about this, and how yeah, did, and how did they feel? Well, it was interesting because it was pretty much split down the middle, which I found interesting with no. Now I'd, I'd like to redo this poll once this podcast comes out and see if I've changed any minds uh, <laughs> one way or the other, because it, it may end up. I, it's very unscientific. And it's, of course, it's a small sample size because I've got all of 700 followers. Right. But uh, the, the, the question was, would Westeros be better off if the love that produced Jon Snow slash Aegon, Aegon Targaryen had never happened. And uh, 32% of the people voted definitely. 32% of the people voted no way. And the, <laughs> the only, so that's exactly opposite. There's no clear majority here. But if you add up the maybes, which was 20%, and the maybe nots, then you get, uh, you get it leaning a little bit my way at 52% total as opposed to leaning the other way at 40%, 48% total. But it's still just totally inconclusive. Nobody That's cares. They just want to see John and Danny mess their lives up. That's all. I, just, I found it really fascinating that 32% of people said it. the story would definitely be better if you pulled the foundation brick out from underneath it. And just, like I was amazed that that many people were so quickly on board with such a radical idea, dude. Yeah. I mean, I would, like, it, you, I feel, have definitely made your case in ways that I could not have imagined possible three hours ago. But you know, and like made really good points in ways that seem not possible. But the idea that a third of because like that's the other thing is that the people who are like talking, who are answering your Twitter polls about Game of Thrones are not casual viewers. <laughs> These are people who have been in this with you for a long time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And are like and really have thought a lot about this stuff. And the idea that a third of them. We're like, yeah, fuck that guy. That to me was was pretty shocking. Well, maybe, and, and, and let's let's even say that maybe there were a couple of casual voters viewing voters in there, but maybe part of it also is the fact that you know, especially those who experience it just in the in the TV medium, maybe they have that one thought that you expressed earlier. It's like, man, I could do without Kit Harrington. This would be a lot better without him. Oh yeah, I think the the that it's much easier to make that case for the show I think even than the books. Right. You know, because there's so much else going on in the show. There's also so much more of a history in television of just care, you know, an actor just doesn't want to be in the show anymore so they just kill him and then he's just not in the show anymore. You know what I mean? Like that's just much more common in in television series than in book series. Um yeah, I, that's an interesting point. I hadn't thought about it that way. 
but you know, regardless of Mr. Harrington, who I don't, I really like the guy's got, you know, he was cast young. It's a big job. Who the, like, also he's a good sword fighter. And I think it seems like from production's perspective, that's way more important than the faces that he makes, (laughs) you know? So like, (laughs) I think there's a lot of other considerations here. You know, when you're the biggest show on earth, you're getting translated into a bunch of different languages. Right. And so that's another thing that you have to like, think about the production aspect of this the main character people want to be able to project onto, you know, they want to be able to project their own feelings, their own experiences onto that character. And it helps if that character is not super specific, is not super expressive, doesn't dominate our reaction. Or just say blank slate. Okay, fine. It's a blank <laughs> slate. It's much easier from production's perspective, right? And but and that's the reason why you get like a Euron or somebody. And part of the reason why Euron works and as such a like blown out, expressive, huge, almost caricature of a person mm-hmm. is because he's playing against Danny. You know, and again, right? These other characters who are just much, much who are just almost dead in comparison, you know, in terms of the the performance aspect. And it's not always easy to say whether or not that has to, whether or not that relates to like ability or whatever, you know, like it's one, it's, it's just, it's maybe not fair to just be like, Oh, kid Harrington sucks. That's part of the plan. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like that's part of how it works. Um, and I'm aware of that, but I think that, that, one thing that really when we see breakout television shows like we were talking earlier about things that break out when you see something like a breaking bad you know the walt character was never a blank slate not for one minute let alone a full episode let alone a season right so it's a different theory of of storytelling um that requires i think maybe a better actor someone who's a little more seasoned a little more experienced but that's why you don't get shows like that full of teenagers right like you don't and and when you look at like season one season two of this show where the real drama and power was at was not really in the sansa character was not really in the john character it was in ned right we weren't relying on them for right. that at that point we were relying on the much older more seasoned actors but at this point all their characters have been killed so you know what we're left with is these kind of blank slate characters and then hopefully we get the injection of an oberon or a euron or somebody you know a, a Tyrion, somebody who's really allowed the freedom to be really interesting you know, so anyway, I shouldn't just shit on Kid Harry, I, which I do a lot. I just every now and then should point out that I have a slightly more nuanced understanding of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I'll I'll be happy to say that it, it, Kid Harrington or not does not affect my opinion on Jon Snow whatsoever. He's a disgrace. <laughs> He's a blight on this world. Get rid of him now. <laughs> With all due respect. And that's next. With all due respect, sir. With all due respect, Mr. Dennett? With all due respect, sir. I believe this is going to be our finest hour. With, with, With all due respect. Okay, so I also did this on Twitter, Mike. I, I put out a, a, a plea 
for hashtags where people could uh, feel free to diss Game of Thrones respectfully. I love it. <laughs> uh, for instance, you do. I asked them to do hashtag with all due respect, and then whatever complaint they have about the show. Here's one that I just did from season seven that was just random, one out of thin thousand. I could have done well with all due respect. Why have Jon Snow? But instead, <laughs> I chose to do with all due respect. The East Watch episode was a long and silly way to get to an ice dragon. Do you have a with all due respect? Uh, no, I'm just going to co-sign the fuck out of yours. I mean, yeah, I've got a hundred of them, you know, but that one to me was my biggest complaint about last, you know, about just that whole thing, that whole storyline was radically unnecessary. There were much easier, better ways you could have done it. More interesting ways you could have used that time. I just, yeah, I just, with all due respect to the beautiful things they've created in the past, that was fucking terrible. So I, I agree. agree. I'm going to use my time to just pile on. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. All right. Well, with all due respect, people, I'm going to pronounce a lot of these Twitter names like completely badly. So I apologize. Uh, At Gene Paul Suki, I hope is how you say that says with all due respect, the scale of the white Walker threat, globally speaking is tiny. I have zero doubts that this hyped up zombie apocalypse doesn't make it past Winterfell, and I hope I'm wrong. Mm. Man, that's that's a good one. Because there are environmental factors at play, right? Aren't there? I mean, we assume. Well, it's it's now starting to snow in King's Landing. That's the only thing I'm saying. It's like, um, I guess the cold is coming, but who? Wh- what is the source of the cold? Is it because the White Walkers just crossed the wall? Or is it because, uh, you know, it's just getting colder and so the White Walkers can get closer? So that so it, it may be that it has only been a threat above Winterfell to this point, but that the whole point of the snow is that they can extend the threat or that the threat is naturally being extended and they're taking advantage of it. Either way, it's bad news. Right. Right. And and I think I think what Jean Paul is also trying to say is he's just going to be disappointed because John's going to make his stand at Winterfell and that's going to be it. You know? Right. Uh, more so than the the possibility of what would get there, because I'd I'd love to see another white go at Cersei. I think that'd be fun. I mean, but would you like to see the full Walker invasion of winter of uh, King's Landing? Like, would you like to see like the Walkers like making their way to Highgarden, like taking like right? Like, I mean, I the one thing I think it would be fun to see the White Walkers at the at the Twins. You mm. know, like just eating phrase <laughs> just like completely uh, uh wiping the phrase from the are, are you, there any phrase are there any phrase going to be left other than the wives and maybe some of children now that Arya did her thing them too is my point who ate everybody who's ever oh. associated with them oh you massacre i'm Come saying on. the one thing i would go for is a white walker overrunning of the twins but do you really want to see that throughout the rest of westeros i don't know that i do Everybody's dead. Everybody's dead all the time. That's what we. That's the way we roll. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Uh, at Practicalia says, with all due respect, the writing is so disjointed. Watching the shows after season four is like watching a bus drive by with pieces of the storyline posted on the side, and the CGI is the red light moment of the idle bus trying to hold your attention. 
Wow. This is this is who they made the 280 character count thing for for people who can use it like that. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a good metaphor. We like the metaphor. And uh, I mean, I feel like that's like like Donald's like cousin who went to college or something. <laughs> you know, as far as the comment goes, but it's it's also like I don't know about it. I might start it after season five, maybe. I don't know. Maybe I would start it a little later. But it's a fair point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, here's here's one that everybody knows is a sore subject for me from at LTMCD. Uh, what, what would that be? LTMCDIES. Uh, it's yeah. your license plate passed too fast. I couldn't figure out what it was supposed uh, to be. <laughs> uh, 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 LT McDies. Let's there just call you, you that. At LT McDies. Uh, with all due respect... Ramsey and Sansa wedding night because apparently we fans couldn't figure out that Ramsey was a horrid human being after seeing him cut Theon's penis off. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're all, we're all, you know, we're not going to open up that subject again, but I understand and agree with you. Yeah. I have to say it. Yeah. Me too. Um, and then uh, our buddy, who I think is going to be featured on another podcast winterfell that axel is working on by the way folks axel's got uh, another podcast that'll either be out before this one or shortly after this one uh where he's working on talking to people who role play different game of thrones characters on twitter uh this is one of those characters at queen cersei real says with all due respect all of dorne except Bashir." <laughs> yes yes and uh and and ario hota's uh weapons all of Dorne except Bashir and Arya Hotel's staff. Yeah, that's that, that. Yeah, that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair, and I'm really excited for that podcast because that's a thing. I don't know anything about that world, and so I am super excited to learn all about it through Axel's like curious eyes. You know. Yeah, I think that's a great topic. I can't wait to listen to it either. Uh, speaking of which, it will be on the DVR uh, podcasting network soon, I'm sure. You can find all of the shows that DVR podcasting network covers uh, at DVRpodcast.com. You can also find a link to podcastwinterfell.com there as well. Mike, now, how many shows are you doing for the DVR podcast network now? Uh, I am not doing anything because I moved and everything's been very hectic and we did the deuce actually like before, you know, we did, we did the whole recording of the deuce early. Um, so I've had podcasts coming out when I've been like, you know, driving a truck full of shit through Arizona. (laughs) So, um, but those podcasts are all used up now. Uh, so I'm going to be doing actually, some more of the uh, Mythos podcast that I did, like the Mythos of the Raven podcast. I'm actually going to be doing some more of those coming up, which I'm really excited about. I've started working on um, uh, Mythos of the Dragon, and we've got some other ones as well. But, you know, this idea of the way that George weaves in traditional 
mythology elements of traditional mythology and the ways that these stories have always been told and he just it the shit is so seamless bro <laughs> it's so good you know and there's so many different ways that he does that and you know in ways when you it, if you talk about it wrong it can sound like he's just stealing like he's just taking these old ideas and just kind of being lazy about it you know what I mean? Like not really being creative about it, but that's not the, it means if that's the way you describe it, it means you're talking about it wrong because that's not what he's doing. And it's similar to the whole, like you remember the first time you heard the whole thing about the Cowboys and the giants, right. And the giant was like beating up the guy in the silver with the blue stars. You remember the first time you heard about that? And you were like, and this is all about like football and his buddy that likes the Cowboys and all that shit. And it was just like, that's amazing, man. Cause I read that chapter twice and I didn't, you know, you would never have picked that up. You would never have picked that up unless somebody knew the story. Totally seamless. Right. It's just beautiful, you know? And that's not like, that is a, that is like art to be able to crack a personal joke in the middle of your best selling get the fuck out of here that's amazing you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and and when when and then when we find out about it as fans when we find out about it later not only are we not like annoyed that he took out the space to do a personal joke we think it's great it's so good that we're all like oh holy shit okay right yeah he does the same he does similar things with especially like celtic and and early like you know uh roman but really like british roman romano british you know he does the same thing with a lot of their mythologies and stuff where he's he's using pieces of it that in in a way he's just kind of taking it and just reusing it kind of but the way he's doing it is so crafty and so artful and so interesting and also It's like Quentin Tarantino is making like a cowboy movie, but it's not going to be like any cowboy movie you've ever seen because he's going to take this genre that you're familiar with and he's going to do everything that you know he's supposed to do, only he's going to do it wrong. He's going to do it backwards. He's going to do it sideways. You know, in his big revenge movie, the first person she fights in Kill Bill has the 88, you know, the crazy 88, right? Has all the defenders around her. By the time... His hero gets to the actual bad guy. The only person the actual bad guy is defended by is a four-year-old girl, right? And then when right. they fight, there's no guns, there's no swords, it's quiet, there's no blood. He takes the whole revenge movie thing and he, and he turns it around on its head in a way that is really interesting and really creative and really complicated. Right. And George does the same things with these old mythologies. And so I've got I've got five of them so far, like with a basic sketch. Um, but the only one that I'm talking about right now, because the only one I'm totally sure is going to work is the dragon one. But I'm doing more of those basically nice. is, is my plan because they're just, I have an endless fascination for them. So there's that. And then also I'm planning on having a, a, a conversation with my regular co-host Tracy, who I did the deep dive with throughout um throughout the last season and with jinx lier who is a contributor listener and contributor who i did some um deep dive podcasts on the deuce with um yeah we're going to be actually recording a podcast about consuming entertainment in the uh, me too era you know and and talking about because we have you know a few things that are specific examples that 
um, including the deuce. Uh, but also, you know, I mean, we've talked a lot about the representation of women in Game of Thrones, representation of sex workers in Game of Thrones, how power works, you know, how men, what men, all, I, we've talked about all of these issues within the context of Game of Thrones. The but, things that don't show up in the pop-up books. Yes, that stuff. That's okay. Stuff. And we've talked about all of that. We talked about that on your show. We've talked about it since, you know, and so I think, you know, it'll be interesting to have a conversation with the two of them who both have, di- you know, obviously different perspectives coming at it from different places, but have consumed a lot of the same material um, so on and so forth. I just I, I think it's a fascinating thing for us to talk about right now, um, how we watch what we watch and what mm. our expectations are of these people. And, you know, I, you know, I like a lot of movies that Harvey Weinstein was a driving force in. And, you know, do I need to somehow reconcile that with the fact, like the clear fact that he's not a good person, (laughs) right? I mean, when his own brother has agreed that he should get off the board, like it's more than rumor, you know what I mean? And so I think that this is one of those conversations that we're never really done having, but, but, what our expectations are out of the people who are creating the stuff that we invest so much in, especially those of us who talk about this shit constantly, right. And who try to get our friends to watch it and who, you know, I mean, we are a part of this ecosystem and a part of what makes this work and a part of how these people make money, you know, is the fact that we talk about this stuff all the time and we do it for free. Right? right? Like that's, you know, we are contributing something to this. So what our expectations are matters. You know, I don't want to go see any movies with Mel Gibson in them ever again. Fuck that guy. Like that's really how, that's just how I feel. Fuck him. Mm-hmm. And I don't need to see any movies with him again. And if you put him in your fucking movie, I'm not going to it. And I don't like, I don't ask other people to not go see movies with Mel Gibson in them. But if enough of us, don't go see movies with Mel Gibson in them, then that expectation comes to be known to people Mm -hmm. who are casting movies. And at some point, like they haven't for three years now or whatever, right? They didn't put him in a movie because enough people were like, fuck that guy. He's a terrible person. He's admitted to beating his wife. He's said on tape all kinds of horrible shit you know what i mean like right. if you don't if you don't know like he has he has shown us who he is and for 3 years 4 years hollywood believed that we were offended and and didn't want to see him didn't want to support him and his decisions anymore and now they have decided somebody Whoever made this stupid fucking Mark Wahlberg movie has decided, and Prince probably Wahlberg because he usually produces his own shit, right? Has decided that that they're going to give him a chance again, and they're going to see if we still have the expectation that somebody who has admitted to beating his wife and doesn't belong in our entertainment anymore, right? That is a very mm-hmm. specific conversation that's happening, and <clears throat> I think that that conversation, you know can be broadened um and it's valuable to us to broaden that conversation uh and i think that it shouldn't just be like you know me and axel sitting around like dudeing it up (laughs) so uh, (laughs) so anyway that's kind of the outlines of of what jinx and and tracy and i have been talking about in terms of of getting into some of that stuff and and starting to try to figure out 
what our expectations are going forward. So I don't know if it'll be interesting to anyone else, but I am looking forward to it. So I'm going to record it as an excuse to learn. There you go. Awesome. Uh, I have some things that I need to learn uh, right now as well. First of all, does Stannis Baratheon look like the local who goes to the same diner every day, asks the waitress what the specials are, but then just orders the scrambled eggs and bacon every time? <laughs> yep, and doesn't tip well. And doesn't tip well. <laughs> does Robert Baratheon look like the guy who, while hosting a barbecue, wears an apron with fake muscles and asks guests, how do you take your cow? <laughs> guy Fier- has every Guy Fieri cookbook. <laughs> Does Jano Slint look like your Uncle Randy, who you only see once every three years at the family reunion, but he still talks about that epic 710 split he picked up back in 1986? Okay. Okay. I, I don't personally relate to that one, but I can see where you're going with it. <laughs> Does Braun look like the gym teacher who puts all of the jocks on one dodgeball team and all of the band kids on the other and openly smiles as the expected slaughter unfolds in front of him? <laughs> yeah, Braun also looks like a guy who might be losing his job at the high school uh, <laughs> in the next couple of years as this thing gains steam. All right, uh, folks, podcastwinterfell.com, facebook.com slash podcastwinterfell, dvrpodcast.com to find all of the shows that the DVR Podcast Networks concludes. And also, you can tweet at DVR Podcast. You can tweet at Winterfell Pod. You can tweet uh, Mike at Fifth Column Film. You can tweet me at Musical Concepts. Don't forget the Patreon page, patreon.com slash DVR where you can help keep all of the great podcasts on the DVR Podcast Network alive. I'm Matt. Mike, thanks for being with me, brother. Dude, I hope people enjoy listening as much as I have genuinely enjoyed talking to you, brother. It's been great. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. All right. Take care, folks.